0: Open up to John chapter 10, John chapter 10 verses 22 through 42, John chapter 10 verses 22 through 42 as you're opening there. Uh, Know that this is my uh, uh, last Sunday in the pulpit for a couple of weeks. Woody is such a capable preacher and he'll be preaching for us the next two Sundays. Uh, Whitney and I and our family leave on Thursday to go to South Carolina for nine or ten days, and so we're going to go see my little sister and then all go to the beach on the South Carolina coast, and so we're excited about that. We appreciate you guys and your willingness to give us time away, and uh, Larry Furman said, don't think for a second that we don't need a break earlier, and so uh, and so we recognize that, and so I appreciate Woody standing in to preach, and he's so capable ministerially, and then Larry's also volunteered. Anyone who has complaints, you contact Larry Furman while I'm gone, and uh And so I appreciate those guys who are able to stand in uh, as we go and rest and spend time together and make good memories as a family. If you have your Bibles open there, why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 22. bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one, verse 30. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Jesus answered them, verse 33, it is not for a good work. The Jews answered him, pardon me. The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. And he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. Many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. Verse 42, and many believed in him there. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fact that you revealed yourself to us through your Son. And today, Father, I pray that we would hear your word and be changed by it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Oftentimes when I talk to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I have discussions with folks, I I hear often people say that they do believe that Jesus was a good moral teacher and that we ought to do what he says and listen to what he has to say, that that he was a good man. And some people would even say that he was a prophet. And yet they simply have a hard time believing that a man who walked among us could be God. The divinity of Christ has been a sticking point for everyone who comes to faith in Christ. For over 2,000 years now, from This moment in the life of our Lord to this very moment, the divinity of Christ, is a struggle for people. Several decades ago, the great Christian apologist and thinker and writer, C.S. Lewis, posited a trilemma. You've heard of a dilemma, right? A dilemma is where you're faced with two difficult choices, but a trilemma is where you're faced with three choices. Lewis presented this trilemma, and it was this, that Jesus... If you look at what he had to say and what he claimed to be, that the record seems to indicate and shows us, and if you believe the Bible's true or that any document of antiquity is reliable in any sense historically, there can be no doubt that Jesus of Nazareth claimed to be God, that he claimed to have absolute authority, that he claimed to have divine authority. Now listen, right now in this very moment, I think you and I could go around here in downtown Gazan or somewhere in Gazan, Alabama, and find someone somewhere that claims to be God. They knock on the door of the church quite often to try to declare to us their messiahship, their divinity. And we send them away with trolley tokens. And so we recognize, though, that there are people who claim to be divine. There are people who claim to be God. Anyone can do that, but when they do, what do we say? Well, they're either lying, just an out-and-out deceiver, or they're a lunatic. Right? They've, they've lost their mind, they're, they've got serious mental troubles, and they genuinely believe that they're divine. And so Jesus of Nazareth claimed to be divine, so what, what Lewis argued was that you've got three options. You can say that Jesus of Nazareth was a liar. And he says that's a very logical thing for you to say. He claimed to be God and he intentionally deceived people to try to get them to believe that he was God when he wasn't. So he could be a liar. Or, second of all, he could be a lunatic. He he, he might have been honest about who he thought he was, but maybe he had some sort of a problem, a mental issue. Many people accuse him regularly of having a demon. And so perhaps they, they saw in him something that we've missed, that he was crazy, that he was a lunatic. Lewis, though, says then that there is a third option. There is... A third option, and it's that he is Lord. He is who he says he is. And listen, if you're one of the kind of people who want to stick with the idea that Jesus was merely a good teacher or a good man or a remarkable human being, you have to do something with this reality. And I think you also have to ask yourself, why then, if you believe that he was a good man, why then do you find that compelling even though he claimed to be God? Something we find to be outrageous day. You see, this is the challenge that many people face. I can believe that Jesus was real and that he was a remarkable man, but not that he is divine. If only, some might say, there were more proof and evidence I could believe in the divinity of Christ. You see, I think so often the reason why we like to keep Jesus in the category of good man or effective moral teacher is as long as he stays in that category he becomes sort of like the disclaimers that you sign before you sign up on iTunes or something like that you don't really read it you know that you probably should but you kind of ignore it he, he becomes like somebody like Dave Ramsey I hear what he's saying but I think I'm just gonna ignore him and keep doing what I want to do He. You recognize he's probably right, but there's not a lot I have to do about it because he's just another moral teacher and there's a lot of we we, we we're able when we do that to keep him in a sort of category of vagueness. Try to keep him at an arm's distance. But here's the reality. We recognize if we were to ever really deal with the evidence and ever really become convinced that Jesus is truly the Son of God, that he really is divine, that he really is the second person of the Trinity, you can keep a good teacher at a distance, but you cannot keep your Lord at a distance. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. I believe Jesus is divine. I believe He explicitly said He was divine. And I think it means something for you today, whether you be a skeptic or a believer, I believe it means something for you today that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, many of us wrapped this up in Sunday school growing up, right? Many of us, this we saw this on the flannel graph and that was it. And we're done with it. We've sealed it up. But listen, as a believer, these bedrock truths, Jesus is the Son of God, it's essential to believe that, to be a Christian. These things that we so often take for granted. I think it's so important as believers that we circle back on these things and recognize these things and really think about these things, spend time with these things, go deep with the most basic truths of the gospel. So today I ask, if Jesus is divine, I believe that He is, what does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? And I hope this sermon will be helpful for you, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. What does it mean for me if Christ is divine? Here's here's the first point this morning. Here's the first point. Christ's divinity, that is the fact that Jesus is God, right? Christ's divinity guarantees your security. Christ's divinity guarantees your security security let me ask you this question have you ever been scared before? Any y'all ever been scared before? I'll, I'll confess to y'all I get scared easily. I get real nervous I take especially when I was younger when I was a child I, I got scared easily um, in fact there' are all these famous stories about me when I was a kid and it was the blizzard in 1993 and we all went and stayed at my aunt's house and they said I was just a big ball of energy. Uh, we didn't have uh, gas heat or anything they had a fireplace so we went over there to stay warm to survive the the blizzard and uh they said i was a big ball of energy during the day but when it get dark at night i would make everybody be very quiet because i was terrified something was going to happen in this post-apocalyptic snowy wasteland of of double bridges alabama you know i just never knew what was lurking out beyond in this uh in this arctic wasteland so so i i can be scared sometimes it's and and we can all think of different times when we've been scared in our lives. I'll never forget uh, when Emma Watts went to her own crib in her own bedroom for the first time. She'd been sleeping in a, what uh, do you call that thing? It sits next to your bed? A bassinet. Somebody got me. Thank you. the bassinet. She'd been sleeping right there next to us, you know. So she's up and down all night and all this kind of stuff. And so I don't know. Uh, we looked up on the Internet, how long can a kid cry in a crib, you know. And they said 15 minutes. It's okay, it works for me. So we go and we put her in her crib. This is in Kentucky and the parsonage in Kentucky. And put her in her crib, and man, she is going berserk. So I get my iPhone out and I set a timer for 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Well, let's see how this goes. It's 13 minutes and 45 seconds. Total radio silence. I mean, it was just immediate. went from screaming to silence all of a sudden I look at Whitney I said that's it we've killed her (laughs) she's dead in there I know she is so I go down the hall and I sneak in and I put my hand down in the crib and I feel it breath later somebody told me they used a mirror you know so they could see the breath on the mirror and I thought man that's a good call but I don't get scared anymore. You know, we're on our third kid. And so, and so anyway, that, I felt down. I felt the breath. I was so relieved. I was terrified that something had happened to my child. We can all think of moments in our lives when we've been scared. And isn't there a sense in which every one of us desires in our heart to be safe and secure? We long for it. It's a, a basic concern, a basic need that each and every one of us have. We want safety and we want security. Let me ask you another question. What do you fear most? Isn't that a good question? not a good question to ask ourselves? What do you fear most? That tells you a lot about, about where your idols are. When you ask yourself, what do you fear most? I want you to hear what Jesus says about what kind of security you can find in Him. They asked a simple question of him. They said, how long will you keep us in suspense? Are you the Christ? are you the messiah? And Jesus then begins to explain to them that he's already told them through the works that he's done. If if he's saying you should look at me and know if you had spiritual eyes to see, you would know that I am the Christ. In fact, some other people later in this chapter see that he lines up with the testimony of John and John never gave any work, never did any works or great signs or miracles. They would say and yet this man lines up exactly with what John said he would do. And so that led some people to believe. So, so we recognize then that if you have spiritual eyes, if you're, as Jesus calls it, one of his sheep, they would know. But Then he goes on to give more truth. The sheep hear his voice, he says. The, the, they, 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 they don't hear his voice. They know them. They follow me. And then verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. He gives his sheep eternal life, he says. And no one, he says, will snatch them out of my hand. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus cares for you. But now he really intensifies this image. He says, you are in my hand. No one will snatch you from my hand, out of my hand. In verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand he says in other words what the picture that Jesus is giving is that you when you put your faith in Jesus are in the hand of Christ and his hand is in the hand of God and there's nobody who can come after you that can get to you now sometimes I'm going to confess to you I lie to my children they come to me and they say they're scared and they say, what if something comes and gets us? And I say, what, what does a good dad say to their kids? Well, to get to you, they got to come through me. Now, little do they know how little that means. But right now, we're keeping up the ruse. Sometimes i lie to them and say, nobody's going to get to you because I'm here. I remind them, right? I am here to protect you. I'm going to take care of it. And I always tell them when they're scared, I say, I'll tell you when you can be scared. When daddy's scared, you can be scared. Okay? When daddy gets scared, that's a good time. I'd panic then. But until then, stay calm. When the father gets scared, we can get scared. Listen to what the Lord says, what Jesus tells us. He's greater than all, isn't he? What are they going to do to come after the Lord? What are they going to do to come get you? How can they get after you if you're in the hand of Christ and the hand of Christ is in the hand of the Father? If God is for us, Paul says, who can be against us? You are looking for safety and you are looking for security and there is one place to find it. It is in the hands and the arms of the very Son of God. He can protect you. He can protect you. We have perfect security, perfect peace, perfect safety in the arms of God. Here's second point. Christ's divinity guarantees your security. But second of all, Christ's divinity threatens your idols. Christ's divinity threatens your idols. Verse 29, we just read, Jesus makes it so plain. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Listen to what he says in verse 30. Some of those beautiful verses in the Bible. I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Now, we recognize as people who believe in the Trinity, we're Trinitarian Christians, we recognize then that there is a unity and a distinction in the persons of the Trinity. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are each separate in their personhood. Okay, now this is theological, so just hang with me for just a moment, okay? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are are distinct. They're distinct. there's, There's not unity in this sense in their personhoods. There's a distinction of persons. And yet, there is a unity of essence. That's what Jesus is alluding to here when he says I and the Father are one primarily. He's alluding to the fact that their will is identical. They desire the same things. They want the same things. And it's alluding then to a deeper reality of the oneness, this radical oneness that the Son has with the Father, that they are united in essence. That is, whatever it is that makes God God, the Father is that. The Spirit is that, and the Son is that. They are all united in their divinity, identical in their identity, in their worth, in their power, in their glory, in their might, in their esteem. There is a unity in the Godhead, even though there is a division in the persons. And so for Jesus then, our Lord, to say, I and the Father are one, what a beautiful statement it is, and what a beautiful revelation of truth it is, and what good news... The people who were then earshot of the Lord had received some of the most beautiful words they could have ever heard and what do they respond with? Though they're within earshot of the very Word of God, one who has the ability to speak life, they realize that they're also within throwing distance of this man who threatens their idols. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work. that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Think about this, brothers and sisters. These people were so spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. That as they stand in the very presence of God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of their fathers, the God of Moses, the Word of God, the agent of creation, the one by whom the Bible was written, the one who was incarnate, who was there to save their very souls, the one who came and invaded the world in order that they might be saved. Rather than hearing His words as great tidings of good news, instead they see it as a threat. What does it take to say you worship God and to want to kill God at the very same moment, brothers and sisters, it is irreducibly idolatry to say that we worship God and yet to worship a false god. To to look and to make of your own desires, your own thoughts, your own attitudes a God and worship it. And at the very moment when that God is violated, they pick up stones to try to stone the God The universe. Jesus answers them. And he says, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. If I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And the argument doesn't seem to work because they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. What is Jesus saying? He's quoting the 82nd Psalm and and whether or not that Psalm is referring to angels who received the word of God and then later were fallen or whether or not that Psalm is referring to, uh, to the children of Israel themselves. The bottom line that Jesus is making is have you not read in the scriptures in the eighty-second psalm where Jesus ascribed to some God descri- ascribed to someone? You are gods, so Jesus is saying. Therefore, if it was okay for either angels or your forefathers to be called gods in that sense, little g gods, then why would it not be the right thing for me to say, the one who's been sent by the Father, the very Son of God? For me to say that I am the Son of God. See, Jesus is not trying, uh, I've heard people say that here Jesus is trying to obfuscate, that he's trying to throw them off his path, that he's trying to say that he's not really the Son of God. Oh, oh, he, that, he's, that he's just simply trying to be coy and kind of cunning and say, Oh, I'm not really saying I'm the Son of God. I just mean I'm a Son of God, like you're a Son of God. Don't you see that? And I, I think that's ridiculous. I don't think that's what the Lord is trying to say. I think the Lord's doubling down on the reality. If it's okay, if it's okay for the Scripture to ascribe to an angel or to a, to a Jew, that they are a small g God or a son of God, is it not okay for me, who truly is the Son of God, to say that I am so? See, these men were so consumed with who they thought God was that they could not see the divine man standing right in front of them. You see... Messiah, who is also God, is a threat to all of our religious conceptions. He's a threat to all of our idols. You see, one Messiah who's not God is okay because he just simply does something good for some people. Right? Right? A deliverer and a leader for one religion just simply delivers people from that religion. A a leader and and a Messiah for a certain country is a good person, but he's good for that country and that's about it. We might admire them, but that's it. But a Messiah who is also God is a threat to our idols. You see, Jesus confronted them in such a way that laid bare the fact that they could not see him for who he was. He's showing them that their idols were under threat. the Lord of the cosmos. One who would prove his divinity finally through the greatest work of all being raised from the dead. Brothers and sisters I want you to know something today. Your idols are under threat from the Lord Jesus Christ. Right now your conceptions of God and who he is are under threat from the Lord Jesus Christ because he alone has the right to define God for us is the very Son of God. You see, some of us want to skirt around some of what it means to serve God fully and truly, and I believe that's idolatry. It's allowing ourselves to believe that it's okay to serve a God other than the God, the Bible, as long as we call Him Jesus. But Jesus Christ is alive and living, and He will not allow us to simply worship anyone any way we want. Jesus Christ is a threat to our idol. But finally, and here's our final point this morning, Christ's divinity is a crossroads for your beliefs. Christ's divinity is a crossroads for your beliefs. Today, I want you to know something. We've been journeying through John together. Next time we're together, we'll be making a little transition out of this section of John and into a new section of John as we prepare to learn about the Lord's death and resurrection. But over the last several weeks, we've sort of done this series within a series where we've talked about encountering Jesus. And each and every week, as you've encountered Jesus, you've encountered something radical about who He is and what He was presenting. And all these moments and all these days and all these things, all these times that you've encountered Christ, whether it's been every Sunday or a few Sundays or today is the first day, the bottom line is your encounter with Jesus, with the risen Christ, has brought you to a crossroads verses 37 and 38 listen to what they say he says this if I am not doing the works of my father then do not believe me but if I do them verse 38 even though you do not believe me believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father again they sought to arrest him but he escaped from their hands you see the argument Jesus is making He's saying, listen, if you don't want to believe me, don't believe me, but if I were you, I'd at least take a good hard look at the works that I'm doing. You See, people often accuse Christianity of being a religion of blind faith, but Jesus never says just trust me. No, he says look and see, and based on what you see, you ought to believe. And so he's saying look and see what I've done. See." my works, and you've got to make a decision. Jesus is pushing them to this crossroads. You must, brothers and sisters, you are at a crossroads, and you must make a decision about who Jesus is. There are no spiritual Switzerland's, neutral places where you might hide from the hound of heaven, the very divine son of God. Neutrality on Jesus of Nazareth is not an intellectually or a spiritually viable option. It's not an option to be neutral. You are at a crossroads. Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, and He came into this world as a baby. You know that very night, God invaded the world. Not only with His Son, but He sent the hosts of heaven into the world now if you read the bible you recognize that we're dead in our sin and trespasses you recognize that we've rebelled against god over and over and so if god sent his army into the world what would we expect him to do well we'd expect him to come destroy the world right but god sent his very own son he sent his angel armies into the world you know what the angel armies did when they got here they put on a concert and they sang peace on earth good will to men with whom God is pleased. They didn't come to declare His wrath, which they very well could have done. Jesus said one angel could come. Uh, 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 Or We've seen examples where one angel would come, but Jesus also said he could call legions of angels to come defend him, but he didn't. Why? Because he came to earth in order that he might die for your sins. You see, God, when he invaded earth, he didn't come to destroy mankind. It was a rescue mission. He came to save us. He sent his son into the world so that you might be saved. Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners, and he did wonderful things wonderful works along the way to show that he was God and in the end he was murdered he was killed even though he was sinless and he died on the cross and there on the cross he suffered the wrath of God that we deserved so that we might receive his righteousness and so here's the reality brothers and sisters God raised him from the dead showing to us demonstrating to us in front of thousands of witnesses hundreds and hundreds of witnesses demonstrating to us that he whom we crucified is both Lord in christ he is the messiah he is the son of god and as you encounter jesus christ today as you see the risen lord today as you see this radical oneness that our lord has with the father as you hear the good news of the gospel of jesus christ today i ask you this question Here at the crossroads, how will you respond? Here, as you have two paths that you might take, how will you respond? Now perhaps you'll decide Jesus is a liar. And perhaps you'll decide Jesus is a lunatic. And that he was just someone who, through one of the great weird things of history, became famous, and his message has lasted centuries, despite being a liar or a lunatic. Or perhaps today, you hear the still, small voice of the Lord speaking to you. And slowly but surely, it's beginning to dawn on you. That Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter, the son of Mary, is the God of the universe and that He has lordship over your life and that today He wants control of it and you're looking for safety and security you're looking for all different sorts of things C.S. Lewis also famously talked about the fact that there's a reason we're hungry you know why you get hungry? because food exists for you to eat you have desires your heart for which you can't find satisfaction in this world. And Lewis says, perhaps it's because you were built for another world. Today, 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 Jesus speaks to you at this crossroads and he beckons you down the path of faith. Today, 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 would you put your trust, your faith, would you give your heart to Jesus Christ? I offer you an invitation this morning. Verses I've been speaking to you, if you've never trusted Jesus for the first time, I believe if you'll turn from your sins and repentance and turn through Christ to God in faith, that He will save you. And second of all, you may be a believer. You may already know Jesus, already trusted Jesus, but you might say, Pastor, I've not been living out my faith like I should. As I consider who Jesus is afresh, and His lordship afresh to do with Him. And so I invite you to this altar today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. First Baptist Church, we are committed to preaching the word, to loving you well, and to reaching our community. We'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member of First Baptist Church. If you need to trust Jesus, if you need to do business with him, if you're looking for a church home, this altar is open to you today. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. And God, I pray that we would be Men and women who plead with sinners to come home to Christ. But God, even now, I pray, if there's anyone in this room in whose heart you're working, God, I pray that you'll move them today to make a decision. God, don't leave them at this crossroads. Bring them into your kingdom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.